0: What's up, everybody? I hope you guys are doing well, and I pray that you guys are growing stronger in your faith every day. All right, guys, so here we are at chapter 15, and John will now set the stage for the final act. But before we dive into chapter 15, let me say this. Don't forget that this seven-year period of tribulation is the final seven years of the seventy sevens that the angel told Daniel about regarding Israel's atonement for iniquities. God is using this time to punish the unbelievers and those who follow the beast, but this final seven years is also the last leg of Israel's suffering for their rebellion in which they broke the covenant God made with them. With the final judgment poured out, Israel's atonement under the old covenant will be complete, just as God promised. We will come back to more on that later, though. As we pick up with the seven bowls of wrath, understand that regarding the timeline, the seven bowls judgment comes in the last year of the tribulation. Meaning that all the previous things we discussed from uh, chapter 10 up to this point, primarily told uh, of things that happen around the midpoint of the seven years, You know, right before and right at the midpoint and maybe just after, you know, then we jump ahead to the last year where God pours out the seven bowls of wrath and brings His judgment to completion. That means by the beginning of the second half or last three and a half, last three and a half years, at the beginning of that last half, the Antichrist um, will possess, will be possessed by Satan, or the dragon, and he secures his position as the ruler of the world, establishing his empire, referred to as Babylon, along with a single world religion led by the false prophet who forces everyone to worship the Antichrist and the dragon, along with the image of the Antichrist, um, or beast, that has been set up in the temple in Jerusalem. And the remnant of Israel is secure in Petra, uh, where they are protected from the beast, but from this point on until the last year of tribulation, not much else is written. Um, but we know that during that time, those who uh, take the mark and follow the beast will be okay for the most part, and life will go on for them without you know too much trouble, so to speak. But during this time is when the Antichrist, or beast, will turn his focus on the believers and the Orthodox Jews who remain. And neither will take the mark and both will suffer at the hands of the Antichrist and, and many will die for their faith, which is a blessing uh, for the believer because they will be free from, um, from all the struggles and, and all the oppression of the Antichrist. They'll be free from that and will find uh, rest in the presence of Jesus and the Father. Now, today we take a look at chapter 15 where we see John describe another sign that he sees in heaven. Now, this sign is significant because it sets the stage for the final act. It lets us know that uh, the end of God's judgment is near and the return of Christ is almost here. John sets sets the stage for the final act by introducing us to the seven angels that carry the seven plagues, and, you know which are the seven bowls of God's wrath you know, that they will pour out on the world. So let's take a look and see what John uh, has to say in chapter 15. Verses 1 and 2 says, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues last, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. All right. So some interpretations say that the sea of glass was mingled with fire, um, but nonetheless. So here we see once again, John describing a sea of glass that is before the throne. But this time he says that it is mingled with fire. And we know that fire is used to symbolize the judgment or wrath of God. It's not just coincidence that we use the phrase "crystal clear." When John first referred to the sea of glass before the throne in chapter four, verse six, he said it was clear as crystal, and uh, he, you know, links it to that, you know, to that description like crystal. Hence, the phrase that we use today. Crystal clear. You know, we use it all the time to emphasize that what is being told to us is, you know, understood fully, meaning we have clarity on the matter. We say it all the time. Hey, yeah, I get it. It's crystal clear. So that's kind of where we get that from. It, it is also said that the sea of glass before the throne reflects God's holiness, glory, and righteousness. Combine that with the fire that John says is mingled in it, and you could easily say that this that this is symbolic of God's holiness made clear in his righteous judgment which is about to be poured out and made complete which is also why I believe that John sees fire mingled in the sea at this point because we are about to witness the completion of God's judgment also I believe the description of the sea of glass mingled with fire represents God's holiness made clear through his righteous judgment because the song that is sang by the victors mentioned in verses two or mentioned in verse two support it and they are you know it says that they're standing next to the sea of glass mingled with fire so let's take a look at the rest of verse two through four they held harps given to them by god and sang the song of god's servant moses and of the lamb great and marvelous are your deeds lord god almighty just and true are your ways king of the nations who will not fear you lord and bring glory to your name for you alone are holy all nations will come and worship before you for righteous for your righteous acts have been revealed we know that the people described here singing are the martyrs who died for their faith and were victorious over the beast because they did not take uh, its mark and did not fear death or love their life more than their faith in god and jesus Revelation twelve eleven tells us that it says uh, that it, you know it tells us that they triumphed o- triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Now in the song they, they say, "Just and true are your ways," meaning his ways are just and righteous, including his judgments, which are referred to as the righteous acts that have been re- have been revealed. Uh, couple the words of that song being sang by the martyrs who are standing next to the sea of glass mingled with fire, and you begin to see the full picture of what John is saying here. Also, it says that God gave them the harps that they played, which is kind of cool, uh, by the way. But, you know, anyways, uh, they sing the song of, of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. The song of Moses was sang on the bank of the Red Sea when. God saved his people from the Egyptians by leading them across the sea on dry land and then drowning the Egyptian army with that same very sea. So God saved his people, then destroyed their enemy. Just like what God has done here, he has saved his people and will destroy their enemies. They also sing unto the lamb saying he is the king of nations and that all nations will come and worship before him, you know alluding to his reign on earth where he will rule over the earth. Um, what I like most about the symbolic nature of the two songs that they are singing is that it represents the Jew and the Gentile together. So, okay, moving on. John now goes back to the seven angels in verse five, verses 5 and 6. And it says, After this I looked and I saw in, the, in heaven the temple. That is the tabernacle of the covenant law. Some scriptures will call it the the, um, the tent of meeting or the tent of uh, witnesses, the sanctuary of the tent of witnesses. Regardless, this is the holy place. So, you know, it says that it was opened, and like I said, you know, some translations will refer to it by different titles, different names, but when it says uh, what it's referring to here. When it's you know translated as a tent of witness, you know it's actually referring to the holy place within the tabernacle. So it's saying that that is open, and out of the temple, the seven angels with the seven plagues come out, and they are dressed in clean, shining linen, and wore golden sashes around their chests. Okay, so the picture here is that. The angels uh, come out of the temple directly from the presence of God, dressed in a way that mirrors the description of Jesus in Revelation 1.13. The clean shining linen and the gold sash represent the purity and glory of God. Combine that with the fact that they are carrying the seven plagues and will pour out the bowls of wrath of God's final judgment, and you get the picture that they are clothed in purity and wrapped in God's glory as they prepare to, to pour out God's righteous judgment on the world. As the angels exit the temple, dressed and prepared for their assignment, one of the four living beasts, or angelic beings, um, which, you know, these were the ones mentioned early in Revelation that were flying around the throne. You know, anyways, one of the four living beasts uh, gives each of the seven angels their bowl filled with God's wrath, and they will be uh, commanded to pour out Uh, that bowl and bring about God's judgment and the fulfillment of God's judgment. And that's coming soon. But verse eight, it says, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. This is a powerful image and is very similar to what God did when Moses finished building the tabernacle and furnished it. Okay. And put all the furnishings in it. Exodus four forty thirty four 34 through 35 says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of, of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of God or the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Also, something similar happened with Solomon when he dedicated the temple in Second Chronicles 7 verses one and two. Now, the point here is that God has sent forth his final judgment and now the fire of his judgment burns in the temple and it fills it, you know, it fills it with his glory and and power to the point that no being can enter or they would be destroyed. No one, no human or angel or any being can enter his presence until his judgment is complete at at this point. So he basically, you know, blocks off the, the, the temple in heaven, and no one's allowed to enter. And you know, if they did, it would, it would destroy them. You know, it reminds us that he is holy, and he is a holy God. And with, without his gracious invitation to come into his presence, we would be destroyed. That is why only Jesus has uh, seen the face of the Father. That is also why God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock, you know, so Moses would not be destroyed when God's presence passed by. All right. In closing, let me say this: It is not, uh, is it not interesting that much, or should I say, a majority of the descriptions or symbolism, symbolism used or mentioned in Revelation regarding what John sees comes from the Old Testament or mirrors what's in the Old Testament? Um, it's stuff that the you know prophets ha- have said all the way back to the time, you know, of Moses and the things that they did, you know, so much of it comes from the Old Testament. You know, it is not just for the Jew. God knew that the Gentiles would be reading this as well. It is because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Things like the temple or the tabernacle that Moses set up per God's instructions was not just made up for the Israelites. It was a copy or mirror of the temple that exists in heaven. The temple in heaven that Revelation has frequently mentioned is a real place, not merely symbolic. The tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build along with the furnishings were built to spec as a copy of of what is in heaven currently in God's temple. Hebrews 9:24 tells us for Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So right there we also see even in the New Testament it, it lets us know that the tabernacle uh, that Moses and them built was meant to copy, it was it was designed from the one that's in heaven. And it was meant to copy that. So the ways of God was not something made up for the Israelites. They are his ways and always have been. They are meant to help us understand his nature to some degree to which is possible. Okay, guys, that is it for chapter 15. And the stage is set now. The seven angels are on deck, ready to complete their assignment, which is where we pick up tomorrow with chapter 16 And the seven bowls of wrath are poured out, bringing God's judgment to an end. Don't miss it. Join me tomorrow as we continue our study in the book of Revelation. God, you are truly amazing. And the more I dig into your word, the more I see your mercy and grace. From the very beginning, you have always extended mercy and grace. Even in your discipline, you withheld the full force of your wrath. And even when mankind seemed to be lost, To be a lost cause in the days of Noah, you extended an olive branch of your mercy and found one man through which mankind could continue. And when mankind had no way to reconcile themselves unto you and be free from the bondage of sin, you sent your son. And like an olive branch, you you extended another olive branch through him, you know, and you showed your mercy once more, allowing your son to come and be the lamb that was slain before the, before the world. You allowed him to carry the weight of our punishment. And through his blood, through the blood of the lamb, we are redeemed and made righteous before you. God, you are just in your ways and righteous in your judgments. And we are blessed to be a child of the most high God redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Amen.